So if you had had to guess where Nicolas Cage's accent was from in this movie, where would you have said? I don't know. Georgia? I feel like I would have said Louisiana. Yeah. Maybe and so. there's such a huge difference between Louisiana and Alabama. I suppose sometimes it did sound Southern, but sometimes it sounded weirdly Creole. Yeah, it's almost like he sort of just did whatever he thought that accent was. Well, he definitely couldn't remember what the accent was from scene to scene or, you know, word to word. Yep, and you know what? He didn't need to. Nailed it. <laughs> After serving the last of his sentence... Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. Today's flight is a special one. We're populating Louisiana's Felton Penitentiary. These guys are the worst of the worst. I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime lives, three Regents and Kathy Lee's, and a genuine 2020 interview What you looking at, punk? Nothing. I was just lying on your cage. But one wrong flight. Stewardess, what's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> can ruin your whole day. Con Air, directed by Simon West. Thank you, and have a pleasant flight. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More's More, a bad movie podcast. Where today we're talking about Con Air, starring Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich, Cole Meany, Michael T. Williamson, Nick Chinlin, Ving Rhames, Dave Chappelle, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, everybody's in this. Yeah, no kidding. All your people who can play creepy, weird villains. And I don't think they could have done without any of them. No, we needed every single one. <laughs> also starring Nicolas Cage's hair. Well, every Nicolas Cage movie is also starring his hair. It's true. It was just especially cagey in this one. Uh, a lot of things weren't great in this movie, though. I now, Don't get me wrong, I like this movie. This movie was so wildly entertaining. It had been a long time since I'd seen it, and I rem knew I remembered it being, like, a crazy, over-the-top movie, but I think I didn't remember, like, specifically how entertaining it was. Oh, my goodness. John Malkovich is so good in his role. Um, honestly, Nicolas Cage is kind of perfect in his role, even though yeah. he plays it crazy. I don't think anyone else could have done it better than him, though. No, I don't think so. Who doesn't love seeing Ving Rhames? I felt like the most wasted character was Steve Buscemi. Absolutely. Steve Buscemi before he got his teeth slightly fixed. <laughs> but only because they had so many people in this movie. Yeah, they couldn't They didn't really, have space for him. They couldn't really do anything with him. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. He was probably the most... And it's funny because they set him up as this bonker serial killer. Oh my gosh. But they didn't really do much with that other than just have the vague threat of this guy might go crazy at any time. He never really seems like he's going to go crazy at any time, and then well, he never does. Because guess what? He's a tiny guy. Like, he can't... The only reason that he was able to serial kill people is because they didn't know that he was that. Yeah, and it seemed like he was mostly killing children. Right. I mean, based on what we see in this, I suppose he could have been a broad-spectrum serial killer, but... Yeah, who knows? They don't... They're not that specific, which is fine. Yeah, really. I didn't need to... I didn't need a lot of background on him. 
It seemed super unnecessary for him when they wheel him out to have, like, a muzzle on. Oh, it super was. That was my whole thing. I'm like, he's around a bunch of hardened criminals. He's not going to be able to do anything. What do you think he's going to bite and start eating somebody's arm? That was the thing about Hannibal Lecter, where they always show him with a muzzle on. And I'm like, I understand he's a cannibal, but, like, he was never a cannibal that just went for went for your face. Yeah, he's not a tiger. Yeah. He's not just going to jump at you. Yeah. It's, also, it's Anthony Hopkins. Like, calm down. He was very refined. Yeah. All right, so Cameron Poe, Nicolas Cage, is an army ranger, and he's being honorably discharged, and we get a voiceover uh, about never leaving a man behind over war footage. He goes back to Mobile, Alabama, and finds his wife, Trisha, where she's working at a dive bar. Um, He asks how his baby is, and she says she's doing fine, and he kisses her tummy. And the thing is... This is 1997, and she's not even showing, which means she's probably, like, maybe three months, which means they don't know the sex in 97. I'm mm, just saying. No. I'm just saying. I have a better point than that, which is, if he just got honorably discharged, he probably didn't visit home three months ago. Oh, yeah. That is another... That's another thing that I did notice and then forgot to write down. That That timeline doesn't make any sense. Yeah. A lot of questions about that. And we get the perfect 1997 soundtrack. How do I live without you? Trisha Yearwood's classic. Yep. Don't worry, not the last time we're going to hear that. (laughs) It's just such a beautiful song. Yeah. And Cage's accent is perfect. There's some creeps at the bar saying how long they've waited to get a piece of Trisha, which is weird because she's married. And currently pregnant. Yeah. Again, I guess she's not showing, so... They're acting like there's, like, a line and there's, like, an end date to this. Like, uh, I've been waiting. Yeah. I'm gonna get my piece one day. One of them approaches them and asks her out right in front of her husband. Good move. And he almost starts a fight with this guy. Which is fair. He's really being riled up. But... My question is, how much of a dum-dum do you have to be to pick a fight with an army ranger who yeah, he's just got off in his uniform? Duty. Yeah. And she says, hey, it's not worth it. And, you know, for a second there, you were that guy again. I hope the army would make him grow up. And I'm like, yeah, I hope the army would, would teach someone that hitting isn't how you solve your problems. Is that what you wanted out of the army? <laughs> yeah, guns are how you solve your problems. Well, that's true. There we go. So later, as they're leaving in the pouring rain, the three guys approach them. He did have a chance to get in his car and leave, but he steps out and toward them. They attack him, and he fights back, accidentally killing one of them. He gets sentenced to seven to ten years in federal prison. I don't know why he's in federal prison. Also, this 100% wouldn't happen. I understand the idea that... He's responsible for his actions, and he could have turned away. But for one thing, the fight was three-on-one, and he was defending his pregnant wife. Well, and they attacked him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And one of them had a weapon. And the judge is like, because of your military training, you're held to a higher, and you can do more damage than regular people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... Can I just say that's not, like, always true? This idea that, like, you have training, so you're considered a lethal weapon. And I'm like, the problem is that means that someone with training can literally never fight ever. Like, there's never an excuse for it because you're always a lethal weapon. Which I would understand, kind of. But in this sense, I think you could argue self-defense 
pretty well. Oh, you 100%? Yeah, no, no, no. In which case, you can't say, well, self-defense, but you're a lethal weapon, so... No, there's not a jury in the world that would see this guy honorably discharged, young, pretty pregnant wife, and hear the stories of these three guys, and they attacked them on a rainy night, one of them had a knife. This guy's in the army, honestly, even if he had attacked them first, he never would have gotten convicted for this. So that whole, whole conceit is just bonkers, and once again, I can't state how... I can't even think of a reason for him to be in a federal prison across <laughs> multiple states away than in a prison in Alabama. He wasn't on an army base when it happened. Well, and if he was on an army base when it happened, he would have gone to military prison. I know! So, explain that one if you can. Oh, wait, is it because they had to get on a plane? Yes, it is. So... So as he, <laughs> maybe he killed them over state lines. <laughs> he dragged they them over state lines. They drove somewhere else. Yeah. And then... So as he enters prison, we see the transformation of his hair to its best form. <laughs> a little bit past the shoulders, constantly a-blowing in the breeze. Hasn't been washed in several days. And it never will be. He spends most of his time shirtless and narrating his letters to Trisha. He makes friends with Michael T. Williams, baby O. And he's doing a lot of fitness and self-education in his cell. So finally he's going home. And he's due to get there on his daughter's birthday. He's got a pink stuffed rabbit to bring her. And Baby O is traveling with him on the plane because he's being transferred to another prison. I don't even know what that means. Across state lines also. <laughs> like, what? Why? I'm, backstory-wise, I'm going to assume that he requests, he's also, you know, in federal prison. So he requested a transfer to be closer to family. That's my backstory. And everybody knows prisoners are often given that uh, ch choice. All I'm sure that what he want. did was testify against someone who they wanted to build a case against so that he could get his transfer. No. I can come up with something. All right. There we go. It I got like cut it. from the final, final edit. Okay. But. Yeah. He was a prison snitch. <laughs> Maybe it was someone on the outside who we used to know. Well, it's been a long time. Poor prison snitch. I don't know. <laughs> he I seemed mean, like a pretty easygoing guy. He did. This plane is also bringing prisoners to populate a new supermax prison in Alabama. It must be a federal prison because they're bringing them from all over. These guys are the worst of the worst. So they let's say. stick them all on the same plane together. Exactly. Nothing could go wrong. Vince Larkin. John Cusack, looks terrible in this movie. Yeah. Really terrible. His suit doesn't fit. It's way too big for him. I forgot how much John Cusack wears eyeliner. It's mm -hmm. a lot. And also his hair was too long. And he just kind of like... John Cusack is slowly melting. <laughs> in this movie, though, I think they were really trying to go for, like, a nerd vibe because he was also wearing uh, socks and sandals. Okay. Mm so. I didn't notice that. That's fair. It's just that, like, the farther away you get from the 80s and 90s, the worse John Cusack looks. He's he, not aging well. He, no, but, like, even, even when you go back, you're like, oh, wait, he's actually... <laughs> yeah. Kind of looks bad all the time. Poor guy. It's the baby face problem. It is. Yeah, it really is. And then also, I think he had a very specifically late 80s, early 90s face. Yeah. That also just is not transcending the ages the way it could. 
So Vince is one of the agents overseeing the transport. He's introduced to Duncan Malloy, played by Cole Meany. Always love seeing O'Brien working. I mean, I thought I did, and then I could not stand him in this whole movie. Oh, he's a terrible I mean, person. I know you're not. You're supposed to not stand him, but like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. It's kind of amazing it's like that someone as affable as O'Brien yeah. can then turn into this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a DEA agent who loves his classic car more than any human being he will ever meet. And he is putting one of his agents undercover on the plane next to someone they want to get some information out of. They haven't been able to get him talk talk the whole time that he's been in custody, and they only have this plane flight now before the FBI gets him. So they just assume that even though no one has been able to get him to talk the whole time, some stranger on a very short plane ride will definitely be able to get him to talk. Oh my gosh, they put this guy next to him who looks like one of the worst people in the world just looking at his face. And they're like, this guy's sure to be the most personable man <laughs> to get the info out of him. Yeah. They start to give Sims, this agent that's going on the plane, a gun. And Vince is like, uh, no, there's not going to be any guns on this plane. Nobody has guns on this plane. There's a gun in the cockpit, and there's a bunch of weapons in the hold, and that's it. I don't know why there's a bunch of weapons in the hold, though, actually. the Yeah, the weapons in the hold seemed unnecessary. They kept saying it, and they never explained it, and I just now realized there's no reason for it. I think it was supposed to be for the guards. Like, maybe at the prison? But, guys, you can ship these things separately. Yeah, that's the thing. And, like, you're going, you're, you're exclusively going to other prisons. Yeah. Where they will have weapons. So they say, fine, we'll take the gun away. But later, right before he gets on the plane, Malloy slyly puts the gun back on his ankle holster before he gets on. Yeah, just in case we were wondering if this guy was a huge selfish jerk. <laughs> he, he definitely is. So now we get a roster of the notable inmates. Nick Chinland, you may recognize as a creeper from X-Files, is mass murderer Billy Bedlam, who killed his wife's whole family after she cheated on him. Ving Rames is Diamond Dog, high up in the Black Gorilla family, Gorilla, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, who blew up an NRA meeting. John Malkovich is a jack-of-all-trades criminal, but while he's been in prison, he has killed 11 inmates, incited three riots, and escaped twice. His name? Cyrus the Virus. Yes. Which seems way too nerdy for him. It does seem odd. I guess it's because his name is Cyrus, and virus is what rhymes with that. Although it's not like the screenwriter, you know, named him or anything. Fair enough. I would counter not every single inmate needs a nickname, but they disagree. The craziest ones apparently do. Well, even the kind of low-down ones. Dave Chappelle is also on board as Pinball Parker. (laughs) Hannah, everyone knows that all criminals are called nicknames by their associates. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. I actually, now that you mention it, I have seen Batman the Animated Series, <laughs> so fair enough. Cameron is incapable of not mouthing off at people, whether they are guards or inmates, and this is true throughout the entire film, and it's constantly just stressing me out. Cyrus, Diamond Dog, and Billy Bedlam are in cages because they're so dangerous. Cyrus talks to Danny Trejo, Johnny23, who is called that for his 23 counts of rape. And he says, 
They'd call me Johnny 600 if they knew the truth. Thumbs up, dude. <laughs> Cyrus says he despises rapists, but he'll make an exception for him. I guess because they're on the same plane. Also, it is bizarre that he despises rapists. It's weird. It, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I guess they didn't want to be like, everybody on board is cool with rape. I guess, yeah, I suppose that he's supposed to be like an urbane crazy psychopath. Because he's John Malkovich, how could he be anything else? Yeah, but I mean, obviously the good guys aren't okay with rape because Nicolas Cage spends most of his movie trying to prevent someone from getting raped. Yeah, he's the only one who really cares about it. Yeah. So Cyrus is slowly working a needle out of his hand, as is Diamond Dog. Pinball pulls a wrapped match and lighter fluid from his throat, squirts it on the guy next to him, and sets him on fire. He grabs the guard's keys as she's calling the pilot, and he unlocks the cages. Unfortunately, the nice lady guard from Cameron's bus that we saw earlier is the guard on the plane. Who he told his entire backstory to. And she was kind of nice to him. Yeah. The I'm guard... just so excited about seeing my baby girl. Right? Oh my gosh, no one cares. I know. She just wants to go home. She, and she's like, well, that will give you some good, uh, good incentive to not come back here. I'm I like, know. He was barely, he was not here for a good reason anyway. I, I guess she doesn't know that. That'll teach like... you to to accidentally kill scumbags that have attacked you. Yeah. Uh, so the guards are getting killed. The co-pilot takes his gun to see what's happening, which, why would you do that? I'm pretty sure pilots get trained. If you think, like, someone's taking over the plane, don't open the door to the cockpit. Oh my gosh, I know. Like, if your whole deal is flying prison plane surely the training is better than this right it isn't they're terrible so he's immediately overpowered by cyrus and shot now cyrus controls the plane and tells the pilot to tell ground control everything is fine ladies and gentlemen this is your captain speaking i have the only gun on board welcome to con air unfortunately for baby o he was about to get his insulin finally and now it's all been crushed in the takeover. So they have the insulin. All of the needles are damaged. So Cameron stops Johnny 23 from attacking the guard, Sally. And Cyrus backs him up. Sims, the DEA agent, is a real dummy. He pulls his gun and tries to take over the situation. Just immediately. And he grabs Pinball as a human shield. Like anybody cares. Surely you got trained better than this for right? dealing with tough situations. If you're an undercover DEA agent. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Also, if your whole deal is to try and get information from this drug lord, guess what? You just got some more time. Now is the best time to do it, man. Yeah. And nobody would have blamed you for not, like, trying to take down this whole thing commando. Yeah, there's nothing you could do. Yeah. As, as we see. As we see, and as... Uh, Cameron is trying to tell him. He's like, you you can't control this situation. And he's like, yes, I can. And then he gets shot and killed. Uh, because guess what? Cyrus had a way better human shield. It was the guard. Yeah. Back at Cyrus's cell in whatever prison he used to be in, the guards find a bunch of stuff in the wall. Drawings of planes, books on Spanish, and extradition and stuff like that. All really incriminating stuff. I love that the prison will provide books on extradition. Oh my gosh. Well, they must have been smuggled in or something. <laughs> I mean, not smart guys. 
There's a big sandstorm at Carson City, limiting visibility, which is good for them, because that's where they're supposed to land for a transfer. They're supposed to drop off six guys and take on ten. They have accidentally killed three of the guys that were supposed to get off. They've, like, almost exclusively killed people that were supposed to get off the plane. Yes, basically. Because they were the only fillers they had seats for. Yeah, exactly. So now they need three white volunteers to get off the plane. Baby O really needs his insulin, and they didn't hear the white part, so he and Cameron volunteer. They say, we'll get off, and they're like, uh, you can go, you cannot, you're black. That's not gonna work. So Cameron changes his mind and says, uh, actually, I have 15 years left, so I want to stay. He refuses to leave Baby O behind. And he also doesn't want to leave the female guard there. And part of it is because they are, they, Cyrus the virus was thinking ahead and kind of arranged things so that once they got off the plane, they wouldn't immediately be able to say, hey, guess what? They're hijacking that plane. Exactly. Which was Nicolas Cage's plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so they... But Cyrus is smarter than that. He is. Everyone that's getting off the plane has their mouths taped and they're hooded. And then when they get off, he tells them, like, oh, yeah, they they were being really horrible, so we had to do this. Yeah. So then the guards don't take them off. Because guess what? Prisoners aren't human. Well, yeah, I like the idea that all of them were so terrible they had to be hooded. Exactly. To make up the numbers for the white guys, they send off the pilot and the head guard. One of the new prisoners that comes on, Swamp Thing... Again, I'm pretty sure that's a character on Batman. Is flying the plane. He knows how to fly really well, it turns out. He takes the transponder out so they can't track the plane and gives it to Pinball, who puts it in another plane that's sitting there on the strip, which is a little tiny tour plane Bob's Tours. They have another prisoner get on. The last prisoner to transfer is locked up like Hannibal Lecter, Steve Buscemi as Garland Green. The murderer cannibal who killed 37 people. And again, we've already talked about why that is stupid. He, there's no way he's going to eat you. I mean, they're, and like, Ving Rames is, like, terrified of him. I understand being scared of the crazy person, but these are people that know how to defend themselves. Yeah, and he wasn't in on the plan. It's not like he has weapons on him. Here's the other crazy thing. Everyone is seemingly super scared of Garland Green, and yet... No one tries to kill him once they're on the plane and on their way to safety. No, Cyrus likes him. He's like, cool, let him out. Well, I just don't understand why, you know, the prisoners wouldn't be like, yeah, we're not dealing with this nut bar and just kill him. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of them, though, are really scary. And so they can't, first of all, they can't admit that they're that scared of him because they would lose a lot of face. Yeah. Even to themselves. And second of all, then you'd have to start killing a lot of people that are scary. Well, yeah, but this is the only uh, cannibal serial killer you've got on board, so I feel like it's pretty high bar. Yeah. Back in Cyrus's cell, they realize the meeting place was Carson City. And Vince runs out to warn them, says, don't touch anything while I'm gone. So a guard immediately opens a box that says, do not open, and it explodes. Big time. In Carson City, the guards realize that the plane has been taken over by cons because Cameron's plan worked. He put part of the taping mechanism in the DEA's recorder inside the head guard's jacket, 
and it falls out, alerting the guards. It doesn't help, though. The cons take off before anyone can stop them, and Parker tries to catch up to the plane. (laughs) Pinball, Parker, tries to catch up to the plane, because he got caught up flirting with a lady in the air hangar. Yeah. At this point, you would have been better just hiding and, like, trying to run away. (laughs) Vince says they're tracking the transponder, although, of course, it's not the transponder for that. It's Bob's tours. Malloy is shocked that Sims is dead, and the plane was taken over, and they get into a screaming match. Vince says, I'm pretty sure extremely incorrectly that there are no contingency plans for something like this, and that it's never even been contemplated that this would happen. And I'm like, then what were the precautions for? This is obviously what everybody was worried about. And it does seem weird to not assume, like, okay, but what if the prisoners do take over the plane? Instead of just being like, there's no way that will happen, because we have all these safeties in place. Yeah. For some reason, Trisha and Casey, uh, Cameron's daughter, are waiting at the pickup spot already, even though they just left Carson City, and Carson City to Mobile is like five hours. Yeah. An agent tells them something has happened and they have to get on a jet. I don't understand that either. Why do they get flown around everywhere? They know it's important. These people... Yeah, it's really important. They managed to shed light on nothing and do nothing. So, good job. But they're in the right place to meet everyone at the end. So that's the important bit. That is what matters. Cameron approaches Diamond Dog. Yeehaw! It's on your mind, Hillbilly. What was I thinking about? Oh, yeah. Yeehaw, that's right. His delivery was so good on that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's one of my favorite lines. Um, And he asks what a black militant is doing taking orders from a white man trying to drive a wedge, but it doesn't work. He says, "Eh, I'm just going along to get along until I get free and then I'll do what I want. And Garland Green is sitting next to them. Cameron is the only one who's chill about Garland Green. Surprisingly so. Because he's pretty chill about everything. He's like, he really seems to understand what he can and can't control. Yeah. And he's just like, hey Garland. And you know what? Garland's pretty chill throughout most of this. He is. Yeah. Vince is trying to figure out why Cameron hasn't gotten off the plane yet, and why he helped the guard who was sent off the plane alert the other guards. Malloy doesn't care, and he just wants to shoot down the plane, which honestly kind of seems like the best option. Yeah. I I mean... I'm I'm sorry to say it, but... That guy was a jerk, but you know what? He wasn't wrong. Yeah, because at this point, you have to be thinking about, what's your liability with that plane? What are they going to do with it? What's going to happen if they all get loose? What are you going to be liable for in the future? That's what the government would be thinking about. Vince says his men are still on it, which I guess he doesn't know that a lot of them are dead. There's only like three that are still alive. Well, surely the guard would be able to tell them who was dead and who was alive. That's true. Yeah, he would have known. Anyway, he's still got three men. Maybe that's enough for him. I mean, I do think theoretically, you know, you are right. I think the U.S. public would be furious if they shot down a plane that had guards on board, especially a female guard. Yeah, the female guard is really what that would be. Oh, gosh, and if she has kids. Yeah. That's not going to look good on the news. So he doesn't want to. Malloy is going with Vince's boss after the plane with their own choppers. But, of course, they're only going to find Bob and his tours. Cyrus tells the plane, everyone on the plane, they have five hours left to their destination, but they have to change planes first, which I don't understand. The pilot says they're going to be late because the landing gear isn't all the way up, and it's causing drag. 
So Cyrus sends Diamond Dog, and Diamond Dog makes Cameron go with him, and they find Pinball, who is frozen dead now, but he had jammed his way into the landing gear uh, trying to get on the plane. They're cutting him loose, and Cameron writes a message on his shirt. And this is when we see whatever city they're in. Don S. Davis, who is a delight, is sitting in traffic with his wife. I love Don S. Davis. <laughs> and you, the only thing I can think that you would recognize him from is if you've seen Stargate SG-1. He's their commanding officer. A delightful southern man. <laughs> and I'm sad that his car gets smashed by Dave Chappelle. But it does. I'm impressed that Dave Chappelle is not in so many pieces that his shirt is unreadable. Yeah, I am too. I mean, that was crazy, especially if he's partially frozen. Yeah, how would that work? It's interesting. We need to get Mythbusters on that. Yeah, that because that was an insane height. And I don't think the hood of a car would be enough of a cushion to keep the body together. Yeah, that's probably a good point. I don't know. I mean, I was like, there's no way this plan's going to work, because the shirt will be ruined beyond repair. Nope, you can read it just fine. How dare you second-guess Cameron Poe? I shouldn't have. No, don't do it again. On the plane, Billy Bedlam stops Cameron and says, if you had 15 years left, you would have been on North Block, and I've never seen you before. And Cameron basically says, well, that's stupid, because I didn't know every guy on North Block, and I don't know you either. I actually liked his one-liner for this. It was pretty good. You see, there were 160 cats on North Block, and I didn't want to know 159 of them, which included you. There's some really good lines in this. Yeah, I think so. That's, I mean, that's part of the charm of the movie. That's one of the... Because the thing about this movie is, like, it's ridiculous and unbelievable, absolutely filled with plot holes and unnecessary plot elements, but, like, it clearly knows what it is. It's kind of like Escape from New York. yeah. It yeah. knows what it is, and it's reveling in it. Yeah. Garland says that Billy Bedlam is a fount of misplaced rage. And he his whole thing, I'm not going to talk about it again because the lines aren't very long, but occasionally he'll go on these like armchair psychologist things. Yeah. Of like, insane, insane is working 50 hours a week and blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. It's just supposed to make him seem more like a serial killer, I guess. I guess so, but also, like, surprisingly grounded and self-aware. Trisha and Vince are talking about Cameron. For some reason, Casey is in the room for this, which seems <laughs> like a bad idea. She is old enough that she can understand what you're talking about. Exactly. So. She says there must be a good reason for him to stay on the plane, because he definitely wants to come home and see them. Vince gets a call from the city where Pinball fell and is given the message. But no one will listen to him in the choppers, and it seems like that, if it comes out later, is going to be a huge liability and jobs loss for people. Yeah. Because he's like, you have to get to this place. It's, it's this place. And they're like, whatever, shut up. And then they hang up on him. Here's the other thing. There are more than three people that work for this agency. Uh, no. Let me say two people, because... O'Brien doesn't actually work for them. He's part of the DEA, so... Right. I mean, I don't <laughs> know that there are. We don't see evidence that there are. The prison system is just run by those two guys. Yeah, it's... Well, the transports are overseen by those two men only. Yeah. And no one else can help? Vince is trying to get to Lerner Airfield, but there's no more planes left for him because they just took all of them to go after Bob's tours. So he steals Malloy's car to drive there. And he calls up reinforcements to meet him there. Diamond 
comes up from the hold with sunglasses and says the personal items are down there, giving Billy an idea. He goes through Cameron's box and finds out that he is actually being released and he's been lying. Cameron confronts him in the hold. Put the bunny back in the box. I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You've been playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box. They fight, and Billy ends up dead. Kind of, again, like, Cameron's whole deal is that he fights with people, and then they accidentally die. Yeah. He just landed on a pipe wrong. Well... Maybe he threw him onto the pipe purposefully. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. We'll give him that. (laughs) And then, of course, everyone else catches up to Bob's tours, and they realize they need to get to Lerner Airfield. Vince gets to the airfield and finds the ground control guy dead. The plane lands and just barely stops before hitting a big propane tank. The cons get off the plane, but the other plane that they're supposed to get onto isn't here yet. Francisco Sendido says, it'll be here soon, just be patient. So I haven't mentioned this guy, but he's the one who, like, arranged this whole thing and paid for the other plane to come and whatever, whatever. Yeah. He's really not that important. Cameron wants to move Baby O off the plane, but Guard Sally says he can't be moved right now because he's in too bad a shape. She so, knows a lot about diabetes. Which, if you know that much about diabetes, he said they didn't give him his shot the night before. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then she's on the bus, and they said, we have your stuff, we'll give it to you on the plane. Yeah. That's a, you give it to them right now. Yeah. Because he clearly... And they're in the air right. when the takeover happens, so... Right. Yeah. I so, would think you would do it for... He is to remind them again, I need my diabetes shot. Which I wish I could say that's unusual, but I think a lot of people don't understand that especially type 1 diabetes, it's like you can't wait for that shot. You'll They'll just end up in a coma. What's funny is it's almost like they knew he would need his diabetes shot and that was part of the plan. Because it wasn't until the guard came back right? there for, to do that that they did the takeover. Exactly. So Cameron's on a mission to find a needle now. As he gets off the plane, he finds Diamond Dog about to kill the three remaining guards. He stops it by arguing they need them as leverage. He says, I would love nothing more than to shoot these guards. Don't get me wrong. But I think we need them. Cyrus agrees. And then once again, Cameron can't stop himself from antagonizing people. He turns around and winks at Ving Rhames. Yeah. Gosh, you idiot. So the cons are all wandering around. And Garland finds a little girl playing in an empty pool. Where did this girl come from and what is she doing there? I don't understand. I don't know why she's the only person She's there. the only living person there other than uh, John Cusack. Yeah. They just wanted to creep us out. Maybe give us some payoff for all the leather restraints he had on. But there really wasn't any. There was no payoff. Don't worry. We will not get that. She just has, like, he talks to her while pretending to have tea, and then he has to leave before anything bad happens. Well, yeah, they try to make you think for a long time that he is going to or has killed her. Yes, but he doesn't. No. He's done nothing to her. No. Just for anyone who out there concerned about the girl, she's fine. Exactly. So Johnny 23 sees the fed cars coming from the tower, and they've got maybe 10 minutes to get ready. 
Cameron runs into an outbuilding looking for needles and finds the small jet that's going to take Sandito with three men who are going to shoot him. Vince distracts them enough to save him, and Vince finally learns after that why Cameron stayed. Because he's the best man in the world. I also like that John Cusack's trying to get Nicolas Cage to work with him on this. He's like, oh man, you just gotta trust me. And he's like, I only trust two men on earth and you're not one of them. And I'm like... One of them's me and the other one's not you. Yeah, that's it. And I'm like, you're an army ranger. Surely there's a lot of guys that you trust. No, that can't possibly be true, you weirdo. Aren't you guys like a band of brothers? Isn't that the whole deal? Yeah. That's such a weird thing to say. So Cameron's leaving, uh, but Vince says he talked to Trisha and Casey, and then Cameron turns around and gets, like, kind of teary-eyed. And he says, tell them he loves them if he doesn't work out, but he's going to go save the effing day. The Collins are desperately trying to get the plane back in working order now, uh, because they clearly need to take off again now that the feds are coming. Francisco runs off when everyone is distracted. Clearly, he knew that the jet was there the whole time and just didn't plan on taking anybody with him. Fair enough. I'm honestly surprised that Cyrus the Virus seemed intent on taking every single person on that plane with him. That was pretty weird. Like, you you want another... Hu- you think another huge plane is coming for you? That's yeah. weird. And what do you care about all these people? Yeah. Surely you would just... It would be like the two of you and maybe, like a couple other people who were important to the plan. Right? It's not like this guy has any moral compass at all. Mm-mm. Sandito's plane is trying to take off, but Vince is determined to stop them, and he lowers a crane onto the plane as it's driving out, which shears off the tail. Cyrus now sees fully what is happening and is super mad, so he lights the whole wreck on fire with Sandito in it. Cameron rolls under a truck to escape, the flames and finds an old man hiding under there. Um, so maybe that's who's taking care of that little girl. Who knows? Her um, grandfather? Yeah. He tells him where he might be able to find a syringe. I love that there's just syringes available everywhere. Yeah, I guess he goes to, like, a first aid kit. Yeah. But even then, a lot of first aid kits don't have syringes. Yeah. Maybe there was someone with diabetes who worked at the airfield, and so they had extra syringes in the first aid kit? Maybe. Yeah, well, and I don't know. maybe so, too. It would be more equipped because they're such a long way from anything. Mm, true. I can see that. The cons pull out all the weapons in the hold, and Cyrus tells them his plan. Cameron finally finds a syringe just as Cyrus's plan is being set into motion and the feds are being shot up. Johnny23 figures, well, it's all over now. Why not go find that guard? There's an eye on the prize. <laughs> right. Clearly, rape is not just a hobby for him. It's not. It's, it's serious. the center of his life. It's serious business. As he's breaking her out of the cage she's in, Cameron is running through a war zone, basically, to get to Baby O, who is valiantly crawling <laughs> to try to protect this guard. And he's yelling stuff. He's like, what? Oh, you, you want to fight somebody? And I'm like, oh, get off the ground before you say that. I mean, he's really trying his best. But it's like, what do you, what do you think you're going to be able to do here? I think he's just trying to stall as long as possible. I guess so. He knows eventually Cameron's coming back. Uh, and he does. Cameron comes back and takes care of Johnny-23 and as the cons are overpowered by the feds. The cons all retreat to the plane, including Garland, who's carrying a doll from the little girl. As they take off, they see that someone, it was Cameron, <laughs> anchored their plane to something. The anchor comes loose but catches on Malloy's car, trailing it in the air. Hilariously. So funny. 
It crashes to the ground, and Malloy is furious. And now Vince is going to have some charges to face when they're done. Yeah. Because he definitely stole that car. Maybe he can argue that he requisitioned it. Actually, he probably could do something like that and get the government to pay for it. Yeah. Because they said he needed either a plane or a fast car, and that was the fastest car there. That is true. That's a good point. I mean, fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully so. (laughs) Because it looked expensive. And the little girl waves goodbye to the plane. She's not been eaten. For some reason, on the plane, they are playing Sweet Home Alabama. I don't understand it. Because they're not headed to Alabama. They're not headed to Alabama. They're headed in the opposite direction. And I think it was because they licensed the song for the movie, and then they never had a good place to use it. Yeah, because as far as I can tell, Cameron Poe's the only guy from Alabama. Yep. Now, I guess the plane was supposed to go to Alabama, ultimately. So they just had it on board just so, for when they got there? No, so maybe it's supposed to be some kind of commentary that, like, we're free, we don't have to go to Alabama. This is irony. I feel like that's giving them too much credit. Yes, it 100% is. Yeah. I mean, also, everyone just likes the song. It's true, everyone does. You never hear it too many times. No. Or in any any context is appropriate, basically. Yeah, jailbreak. Except so. possibly funerals. Well, depends on the person, but yes, <laughs> probably so. Diamond Dog finds Casey's letter to Cameron that he's coming home on her birthday and gives it to Cyrus. Cyrus is determined to find out who this traitor is and threatens to shoot the guard. Baby O takes the blame and Cyrus shoots him, but only in the stomach. Yeah, so that shouldn't be harmful for somebody that's in a diabetic shock. Oh, I know, right? They just got over that. Yeah. Yeah. Right as he's about to just go nuts on everybody, the feds choppers catch up with them and there's a shootout. And Vince is trying to keep them from shooting the plane down, up to and including putting his own chopper in the way of the shots. Cameron heads to the cockpit and takes control. He tells the pilot to land the plane, and now they're right over Las Vegas. (laughs) They do try to land, but they sort of end up crashing instead because the plane is in terrible shape. Yes. Right in the middle of Las Vegas, it is a miracle they don't land on people. Uh, they 100% did and just didn't include it in the film. <laughs> I mean, the number of drunk people on the strip oh, at I night. Know. There's, no, there's way no way that everyone was like, oh, there's a plane. Let me move out and of the way out in a timely way. way. Exactly. So they get to a stop and everyone gets off. And Baby O is taken away alive on a stretcher. Cyrus, Diamond, maybe Diamond Dog? I don't know. Swamp Thing for sure. Crawl away under the plane and hijack a fire truck. Cameron and Vince chase them on police motorcycles, and Cameron ends up hanging off the back of the truck, with Cyrus trying to jab him with a hook on a pole. But Cameron breaks off the end and impales his leg with it. He cuffs Cyrus to the ladder on top of the truck, and Vince starts filling the cabin with water because Swamp Thing won't pull over. I thought they had to... Do they have water on the truck? I thought they had to hook it up to a hydrant. Uh, that is an excellent question. Maybe they have some water on the truck... Maybe so. I, I I truly have no idea. I'm not I'm not saying they're inaccurate. I'm saying well, because there's things that where hydrants wouldn't really be available. Like if there was a a fire on the highway. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's true. So they must have some at least. Probably so. Although to be fair, a highway fire is probably going to be gas fueled, and so you're probably not going to use water. Oh, on see, anyway. when I was living in California, sometimes there would be 
highway fires that were like brush that was on the side of the highway. I I understand. Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Although, for all I know, they just have the back of the truck filled with sand. (laughs) Right. The bed is heavy. They end up horribly crashing the truck and causing a ton of damage. Cyrus, it's implied that he's killed during this and probably Swamp Thing too. Who knows? No one cares. Cameron grabs the bunny out of the water where it's floating away, and I don't think that a child should receive it at this point. (laughs) It looks horrifying. Yeah, you're going to terrify your child with that rabbit. You're already going to terrify your child because look at your hair, look at the shape you're in, you're wearing a wife beater, just everything's bad about this. Also, I just want to say that your wife should have gotten you a gift that you could give to the child. Oh my gosh, seriously. It didn't need to so be So problem this, solved. Yeah. didn't need to be this bunny from the commissary. Also, can I just say that it's crazy that they sell those in the commissary? I know. It's pretty weird. I guess they have a lot of cons with visiting children who need gifts. I guess so. It seems like they wouldn't sell those because they'd just be used for smuggling. <laughs> yeah, they 100% would be. Right? He gives it to his daughter anyway. And they all hug. Happy family. And John Cusack's like, aww. Worth it. Yeah. And we get a book in playing of How Do I Live Without You. Excellent. I needed that romantic end. Right into Sweet Home Alabama for the credits. <laughs> and that also makes me think, I really think they thought they would have a better place to use it, and they never did. And they were just like, well, let's do this. Yeah. Which, honestly, they could have just used it for that, and it would have been fine. I know. And I guess it's hilarious that Garland Green escaped in the chaos and is now free and gambling in Vegas. Right, because there was money flying everywhere, so he has money and... Yeah. Now he's gambling and just on the loose again. Yeah, I don't think that's very funny because he killed 37 people, but okay. Sadly, there was never a sequel where we find out what happens to him. Well, there still can be. Hopefully. We'll write a letter (laughs) to Steve Buscemi about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that's we just want a story sequel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess really I would need to write a letter to Nicolas Cage about it. He seems up for anything. He sure does. He's got enough debt and alimony payments that he probably would be fine with it. Yeah. So the budget for this movie is $75 million, and it made $224 million. Well deserved. Yep. I can't begrudge them that. No. It had actually, surprisingly, it had mixed critical reviews because interesting. no one thought it was a great movie, but there were people who felt that it was a very entertaining movie and that the movie recognized what it was and was playing into that. Yeah. So they gave it, gave it points for that. If, even looking at the cast, I don't see how you can argue that it didn't know what it was. Especially the way they set it up, where yeah. like every criminal was crazy and yeah. Exactly. I definitely think they knew what was going on there. Yeah. And this was produced by Jerry Brockheimer, so it had, like, real talent behind it. Yeah. It really did. So, after this podcast, we will be taking a short to longish break. Yes. We'll see what happens. Uh, There's a baby coming, so we'll just see what happens. Yes. (laughs) We'll see how much recovery time is needed for that. (laughs) Exactly. But... We'll see you next time on More is More. For more of our podcast, go to moreismorepodcast.com. To contact us, email at moreismorepodcast at gmail.com.